0: This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. God, for the glory of his name, is
1: reconciling and reclaiming all things to himself. He's just yearning
0: for you. He's longing for you. He wants friendship and relationship with you. He needs you. Oh, you're breaking his heart. No, he's going to break you. Self esteem that is a satanic idea. You're not as important as you think you are. This, like when you say, I, I just can't believe in a God that would, you realize it doesn't matter. You don't get to define God. This is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us a man who know the truth. One man, Jew and
2: Gentile, bond and free. One, there is no race in Christ Jesus. Oh, how a man needs to your God, that that man might cling to his word. Give us some preachers who aren't tripping over their skirt to get into the pulpit.
0: What's wrong with you people?
2: Thank you for tuning in to Matter of Theology. So we are in our second week of reformation month Mm -hmm. and so last week we looked at the necessity of the reformation why the reformation had to happen Uh, we looked at um, john Wycliffe, we looked at john huss we looked at martin luther we looked at uh, the printing press why the printing press was a necessity for the reformation to even happen Uh, but today we're going to be looking at the expansion Of the Reformation, so it's it really we we saw where it started in Germany with Martin Luther, Mm -hmm. but then it goes from Germany and it just it it spreads out. I mean, it's like wildfire, uh, just kind of taking off. So, uh, but so so we looked at Luther, but one of the the next kind of key figures in the Reformation is John Calvin. Yeah. So, what do we know about John Calvin?
1: That he's a pretty cool dude. Yeah. He's the one and, we worship, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, knew, I knew somebody was gonna say that. That's right. A Calvin that uh, yeah. that 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 we worship. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, Calvin. So Calvin was younger than Luther. Uh, he was born in 1509. Mm-hmm. So Luther nailed the theses in 1517. So Calvin was kind of the the successor, if you will, of the Reformation. And it, as it kind of spread into France and spread throughout Europe, right? The fire started in Germany and then just spread, right? Mm-hmm. So Calvin was kind of the the next, what do you say? The next... Big figure in the Reformation. Uh, born in 1509 as uh, Jean Calvin, right? He was French. Uh, he was. We? We, we, we. That's right. Yeah, I was born 65 miles northeast of Paris. Uh, born to a very staunch Catholic family. Um, so he, like Luther, also grew up in just kind of that environment where. The Catholicism and the abuses of the church were very, very uh, prevalent, right? And uh, just kind of spurred his, his, uh, his desire and and his his need, if you will, to uh, spread the truths of Scripture. Um, Calvin is often kind of seen as, whereas Luther was very emotional, very bombastic. Uh, Calvin was an intellectual. Uh, he was a professor. He studied law. Uh, he was a very, very smart, smart individual. He published his, his, you know, the Calvin Institutes when he was, like, he was in his twenties when he wrote and published the Institutes. Now, just like take his a, first edition, yeah. his first edition, right? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, and the Calvin Institutes are a massive, massive work of theological uh, prowess, if you will. Uh, can you imagine? Like, I mean, I think you know, when, when I was Calvin's and when he posted the, can you, like, can you imagine being to the point to where you can in your twenties, uh, write out such a diatribe of theological distinctives as the institutes
2: as young as Calvin was, but yeah, basically Jonathan Edwards too. I mean, he was 18, 19 when he wrote his, his, uh, resolutions. Yep. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I can't wait to get into talking about those guys, by the way.
1: Oh, I know. Yeah. So good. Right. So yeah, Galvin lived in Geneva briefly until, um, and and again, this is just a an overview. But until the Protestant authorities kind of forced him to leave, and then he came back in 1541 and spent the majority of his time there in Geneva um, and set up the religious government there. Uh, and he was given given kind of he was kind of one of the leading figures of the government. There. Um, but he was one of the guys that just like Luther was responsible for spreading the truths of the gospel, the reformation theology, right? The returning, like we talked about last time, the returning to biblical truths, uh, spreading it through France and then France through the rest of Europe. So Luther kind of started it. Calvin kicked it off. Um, he died in 1564. Um, and we actually, fun fact, actually don't know where he is buried. It's still actually unknown.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an not mark, known yeah. where he's at. Um but and that uh, was and he he wanted to be buried in an unmarked grave. He right. didn't he didn't That's want right. people he Didn't want his name to his Yeah, yeah. He didn't want people giving him the praise like that. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Which just kind of gives you a little insight into which is ironic, right? Because Calvinists or who we would define as Calvinists um, are not often seen or marked by the humility that Calvin himself had. Right. Right. And it's very important when we're talking about the person of Calvin, that he was a very humble man. Um, He was a very smart man and he was not one to, uh, although he engaged in the battle for truth very vigorously, of course uh, not one that you would say was marked by pride right um or or that that type of that type of uh mentality when he's engaging in theology right mm-hmm. but out of out of calvin he taught on so many stuff like i mean read the institutes he covers the gambit mm-hmm. um but is often the one that is credited for giving us uh the points of calvin if you will the systematic views of looking at salvation specifically the doctrines of grace is another Another term for them, uh, Calvinism. The five points of Calvin: tulip, as we have, you know, kind of succinctly brought them into a, 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 uh, a, an easy way of defining them: total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. So those are the kind of five points that Calvin's teachings have been succinctly brought into. Which I always say, I really believe that if Calvin were alive today and he like heard about quote unquote calvinism he'd be kind of he'd be kind of
2: miffed he'd be like really well, like, he, so so that term calvinism so yeah. came about in his day and he hated it oh he did he hated it yeah yeah because what calvinism is what
1: the doctrines oh, yeah. of grace are is simply the doctrine of salvation mm-hmm. it is biblical salvation that 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 uh you know were it was combating the five points of um Ar- 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 armenius right um that where is basically the polar opposite of what Mm -hmm. Calvinism is, right? Mm -hmm. That we, we act instead of total depravity, we have some sort of good within us. That's able to, to choose God and actually able to not be completely depraved. Right. Fake
0: Um, news.
1: Yeah. All I have to do is look at my life for five seconds. and I know that's not true. Now,
2: now, so those, the, the five points are of Arminianism. uh which at the synod of dort you know they yeah. they came and this is after jacob arminius and calvin both are are dead. Yeah. Uh, but the the five points of arminianism I think I, I want to say those were derived from a form of teaching from jacob arminius but mm-hmm. jacob arminius was they more were. on the reform side than than his yeah. followers were.
1: Right? Right. Yeah. 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 The five points of Arminius were definitely a, a, it started, it has their roots in what Jacob Arminius taught, but they definitely like put them on steroids. Yeah. Right. Right. For sure. For sure. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. So that's, that's Calvin in a nutshell. Um, and again, like, I think it's very important, like, as we're talking about, these These men or these heroes of the faith, these men of the Reformation that that we really dig into what they taught, what they were about. Mm-hmm. right. So, and again, Calvinism, uh, and the specifically the five points of Calvin. I mean, that's a whole podcast series in and of itself. But do you guys just want to go through just really, really quick, just uh, the five points of of Calvinism and what we would consider the doctrines of grace and how that kind of works into reformation theology itself, right? Yeah. Chris is ready. Chris is ready. I've got the biggest smile from Chris right now. So do you guys want to stick to the kind of the, the template of tulip? that 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 we have or do you guys want to go into a different direction
0: i'll I'll throw i'll throw some uh some of the other uh it's not really an acrostic in there but there are some other names yeah uh for the five points of calvinism and i think uh, ag brought up a very good point uh you know those five points that especially that acrostic tulip was not calvin was dead Mm uh when when that was uh when when that was brought about and and josh i want to thank you for saying what you did uh Just concerning those who would identify as Calvinist, because, um, you know, we tend to, we tend to, and we said this when we talked to Brad uh, from Theology Nights. What's up, Brad? We love you. Um, And, um, but, uh, you know, uh, and Josh, you said this when we talked to him, you know, there's no such thing as a a prideful Calvinist, um, because if that's the case, then we really don't know Calvinism. The people that Mm -hmm. are, are constantly, you know, in our text thread, no eye contact inside joke that's uh right. Right. uh you know we uh, drew i think you sent that quote uh by, by somebody talking about how Calvinism's not biblical and and, and his defense mm-hmm. of that uh, obviously shows that he's never read anything that's by right. john calvin that's right um you know when you read institutes which uh for our, our last episode i um i read more of the institutes for our last episode than i ever have personally and so uh, I'm, I'm trying to work out the timing of this but um, uh, soon I'm going to, that, that's going to be the only book I'm reading. And I want to, I want to get through that, that uh, amazing, amazing, uh, work of that man. And I think it's something to point out too, just from the, from the outset, um, these men that we're going to talk about, uh, t- today, uh, uh, John Calvin, John Knox and William Tyndale, these men were scholars.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, these men were not lazy. They were thinkers. They were hard thinkers, um, and I think that's something missing um, from 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 the the whole for the most part of evangelical Christianity today. And they and, were from an early age. Oh, absolutely. Age. I, oh, absolutely. And, and when I get into to, to Tyndale uh, in a little bit, you know, you're going to see that. Uh, but Calvin is 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 another prime example. Edwards, we mentioned Edwards. I mean, the dude had a master's degree, I think, at the age of 17. Yeah. 16, 17 years old. Um, yep. you know, so these men were hard thinkers and I, I, that's, that's something I appreciate today out of, out of men that we see today. I know we're about to get into the doctrines of grace a little bit, but I digress slightly just to say this, you know, John MacArthur talks about one of the reasons that he writes with, uh, writes his sermons with the fountain pen is, um, n- number one, because of the, the, Uh, From a physiological standpoint, what that does in helping him remember. Uh, There you go, Drew. I see yours. Um, Same one. Pilot Metropolitan is the one. That's our everyday carry, our EDC. Yeah, man. Uh, And fifteen dollars
2: on Amazon, by the way. That's right. That's right. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Link in
2: the
1: description. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So. But MacArthur will say, you know, it, 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 what it makes him do instead of typing on a computer, which is, he's not, not bashing that because Phil Johnson, you know, is one of his right hand guys and uh, director of Grace to You, uses a computer and an iPad to preach. You know, John uses a paper. Lawson uses paper. A lot of great preachers and pastors use computers and iPads. I've done that. I'm not a great preacher or pastor. I'm just saying I've done both. I prefer to write everything out now. I, I, it helps me remember. But anyway, but these men were incredible thinkers and, uh, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, let's, I, I just wanted to point that out just cause I thought that was fascinating out of all these guys. Um, but yeah, let's, let's talk about the doctrines of grace. Let's start with the T in total depravity and or radical corruption as uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul and Dr. Stephen Lawson would say. Yeah.
2: So go ahead. Bob. Well, well I mean, I think when, when you get the T right, when you get total depravity, right. And you understand it; everything else falls into place.
0: Which everybody, yeah, for for the most part, most evangelicals would affirm the T. Yeah. I remember R. C. Yeah. Sproul was talking about one of the first times he taught through, um, uh, the, this the 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 tulip uh, acrostic that he he on the chalkboard would write the T and then asked who would after going through it, who would affirm the T. Before I'm sorry, before going through it, and he write everybody right. everybody's name up, and then as they went through each he one, has, he right. would he the would notice that it was lower, 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 yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So so you have to affirm that the 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 total depravity of the human race, origin mm-hmm. the original sin of Adam, uh, that brought about the fall, um, and uh, and William Tyndale uh, he he wrote he said the fall of Adam has made us heirs of the vengeance and the wrath of God, and heirs to of eternal damnation and has brought us into captivity and bondage under the devil. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and that just affirms our absolute inability, uh, when it comes to any matters of uh, any spiritual matters, um, uh, we are not able to make a free will choice towards God without his regeneration and intervention first. That's right. So now
2: at this time, at the time of Calvin, right, there, we start to see the, the Catholic Church, uh, they, they have the idea of prevenient grace, right? Uh, you, you can make the choice. It's just, you know, your thinking is corrupt. That's, that's the level of your depravity. Your thinking is just corrupt. But, you know, with, with the right uh, influences, uh, you, you know, with the right teaching, you can make that choice. Well, Calvin said no. It's not just your thinking is corrupt. He said the entirety of the person is corrupt. It's
0: tainted by sin. And where did Calvin get this? Where did Luther get this? Where did Tyndale get this? Where did Knox get this? Where did Rogers get this? All Mm -hmm. from scripture. They all maintain that sin uh, corrupts. The entirety of a person, our minds, our wills, our affection. Uh we are we are, as Dr. Steve Lawson says, fatally polluted by a deadly poison. Um and uh and 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 he's echoing the words of William Tyndale there. Um so yeah, when the Catholic Church was affirming uh that provenient grace, like like AG said, um, then then these guys looked at this and said, No, 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 no. That's not what scripture teaches.
1: Right. 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 And because of that doctrine, because we are totally depraved because we don't, it, it affects and infects every part of who mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one, the, you, uh, unconditional election right right that that election that choosing of god of his people is the only way salvation can come about Mm -hmm. it is necessary that salvation is based on god's choice god's election Mm -hmm. um because apart from that uh there you know scripture is very clear no one seeks after god so That's right. No, Romans one, 3. Does, no yep. one does good. Jeremiah talks about the heart of yep. man being yep. deceitful above all else. No yep. one can understand it. It's very clear in scripture that we are incapable without the grace of God to, to, to follow and to accept and to meet the standards that God has set. Right. So it required God to intervene. So the election is unconditional, meaning that it's not based upon any type of, um, any type of qualifications mm. other than God's choice, other than God's love, that we know of, right? Um, if it were conditional, if it were conditional election, well, uh, that would be bad. Yeah, <laughs> because that yeah. would mean that there was some sort of standard that I would have to meet in order to
0: qualify. Well, there is. Election, it's
1: called the law, right? right. It's, yeah, it's right. it's
0: the perfection of the law and uh and and that that is the standard. It's God's holy law um, and we can't meet it. Okay. Christ is the only one that ever has. Mm-hmm. and in in that moment of of election when when those who are predestined and elect are regenerated, um, we are able to see that. We are able to see uh, his glorious work on the cross. And at that in that moment, Christ's righteousness and perfect obedience is imputed to us and our sin nature and the punishment for our sin was imputed to him. Right. So now, now
2: to and, go because I, I want to piggyback off that and talking about the law and the nature of the law and and people today, because people will say, you know, even nonbelievers. Well, the Old Testament law. Right. Well, that was that's done away with. That's ineffective. Well, no, it's not. Not if you're an unbeliever. If you're an unbeliever, you're required to keep the law for righteousness. The problem is you're you under can't do it. Yeah, you're under the law. You're under the penalty of the law. And that if you die apart from Christ, that's the standard you're judged by. So you're under commandment to keep the entirety of the law. The problem, right. you can't do it. Therefore, you need a substitute,
1: which right. is well, Christ. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's 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 Paul's whole point Mm -hmm. when he talks about the law is that the law for the believer there is to show our need for Christ. Right. The law is a very harsh and realistic taskmaster. That's right. Uh, It doesn't go away. Uh, it's just it. The purpose of it is to show your inability to keep it, mm-hmm. which then pushes you toward the person that kept it perfectly. That's right.
0: Well, right? let's talk about let's talk about that, you know, sovereign election as well. Unconditional election. Uh, I like I, I also like the way R.C. R.C. talked about it being sovereign. Uh, that also that also ensures success in evangelism. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. that, that, that right. does, because it's, it, it doesn't matter how hard, uh, how hardened our hearts may be for those of us who are, uh, are, are of the elect, uh, when the gospel is preached, when Christ is preached, as I'm quote William Tyndale again, uh, when Christ quote, when Christ is preached, the hearts of them that are elect and chosen begin to wax soft and melt at the boundless mercy, bounty, right. I'm sorry, bounteous mercy of God close quote, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. that's the
1: doctrine of sovereign election takes so much pressure off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? And, it does. And, and again, right. Like, I mean, I want to keep coming back to this. This is why Calvinists, uh, and again, it's so ironic that it's so often not, but Calvinists should be the most uh, vigorous evangelists for the gospel. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Because there's
0: no pressure. That's right. If, right. Right. I mean, A hundred, I can't. And 100% success rate. Not necessarily, not necessarily the, maybe the hundred percent that you want.
1: Right. But you know, that's exactly true. Scripture and the gospel never returns void. We have that promise in scripture, right? right. And those that believe in the doctrine of sovereign election know that the gospel that they are giving Mm -hmm. has its purpose. That purpose belongs to God. We are just called to be faithful and share it. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, that's. Yeah, it's the doctrine
2: of election is so freeing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to with the doctrine of election in evangelism, you don't have to sugarcoat the gospel. You don't have to come up with a, you know, a pithy uh, speech in order to persuade uh, people to come there and make a decision. No, you can give the gospel in its entirety and you can trust that the spirit is going to do what the spirit is going to do in changing the heart. Right? You don't that, need I the will... lights. Oh, yeah. You
1: don't need, no, no. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. You don't need the lights. You don't need the, the theatrical performances. You don't need to try to make the gospel more palatable to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've so... right. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, Cause it's true. It's true. Yeah. Well, And now, now I, I will say this, um, Sovereign election, it, 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 it makes much of God. It humbles man, right? It, it's what initiates uh, salvation, honors the word of God, gives us confidence in our evangelism. Uh, so it does take the pressure off. Now, that doesn't mean that we are to be lazy or, as John Piper would say, flabby with our words, Mm-hmm. We should seek to be hard thinkers like these men. Oh yeah, um, because we are called and commanded in Scripture to write to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, soul, and strength. Put down yeah. the phone, put down the iPad, unless you're using yeah. it for hard thinking and reading Scripture yeah. and reading books. I mean that that that's yeah. one thing, but. But man, let's get back to that. Let's get back to that type of thinking that where we, we, as, as, as William Tyndale did when he stepped away from academia after receiving his master of arts from Cambridge, he did that for the purpose of working out the things that he was hearing and feeling, uh, from the, the truths found in the reformation. Mm -hmm. Um, and look at guys like Calvin, look at guys like Edwards. Now I'm not saying that we all have to be, you know, 18 years old and a master's degree and, and, uh, but, but man really seek to be hard thinkers of the word um, right. and seek to be not lazy and not flabby with how we are able to present the gospel it doesn't absolve us from working hard but it, the results are are what are what we don't have to worry about yeah. Yeah. so yeah and now uh, uh, before
1: we move into the next one like I, I really want to I really want to stress that the five points of Calvin are doctrines that are interwoven with each other yeah that's right to the effect that, and I want to be very clear here. To the effect that, if you remove one, one of them doesn't matter which one it is, the other four
2: fall apart. Mm-hmm. Amen. Right. That's why so, there's no such thing as a four point
0: Calvinist. Yeah, and that's <laughs> it, right. You beat me to it.
1: And that's and that's why we are. I wanted to preface that before we go into this next one, because limited atonement is well, before you go main... into limited
2: atonement. I, yeah. I, Cause I want to, I, I want to hit, uh, humility under unconditional election because it yeah, is, true. it is unconditional election that as reformed believers, mm. when we understand that again, we should be the most humble People, yes. because when you understand it, you understand that it's God's choosing, not right. your work. That there right. is absolutely nothing in you that persuaded mm. God or moved God to elect you or bring right. you in, change your heart. Absolutely nothing. What you deserved was you deserved hell. You deserved death. But God, by right. His sovereign choice,
0: yeah. I'm well, looking. And- at- I'm looking up something while you guys are talking. Let's not move past that real quick. We go ahead. Well, then.
1: And why, you know, again, I think I asked this question a lot, but, but it's really true. Like why, why, why would you want anything else? That's right. Right. I mean, why, why would you want any other scenario? Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically in regards sal- to, to mm-hmm. salvation yeah. where all of the glory and all of the work and all of the, all of the sustaining power is on God himself and not mm-hmm. you. Right. right. Again, like, I can't it terrifies me to think of a scenario in which my salvation the either the procuring of it or the sustaining of it is based at all on me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Because because I know that it wouldn't work. Mm.
0: I know I wouldn't keep it. Right? Well, and, and here's here's why, uh, you know, not 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 to jump on this topic, but but here is why we need to be very very careful with the influences that we are allowing to come into our ears. Uh, from a musical standpoint, when you have songwriters um, and, and, and you can't use the excuse, I'm sorry, you cannot use the excuse that they're just immature in the faith. That's a load of crap. Mm-hmm. You cannot use that. We, we have got to stop defending herodoxy and heresy coming out of Bethel and Jesus culture and Hillsong. Mm-hmm. We've got to stop defending them saying they're just immature. Well, then they shouldn't be doing it.
1: Right. And, I, and, I, and I'm being, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and I'm and I'm being a little strong in my tone for a reason because you've got guys writing the number one according to the Dove Awards, whatever that means, number one worship song in contemporary Christian music, saying things like this: "Quote, he doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose by putting himself out there. He simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back at him and offer ourselves in return." Close quote. Mm. That, that, that is, that is, that's absolute. an actual quote. Yeah. Yes. The writer of reckless love. That's, that's oh. from his mouth. Mm-hmm. That's a very, so, weak, that is uh, a, that is a sloppy, wet hunk of garbage. <laughs> so, so here's, here's what I'm saying. You know, when we did the oh, that's it's horrible. Exactly. Well, when we did the, when we did the theology oh. nights podcast, I mean, you know, what, one of the things I would love, I would love to have John Calvin sit down with Corey Asbury. I would absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. Because there is absolutely nothing in scripture to support what he said. Mm -hmm. And and that song is being played everywhere.
1: It paints such a small picture of God. Absolutely. It paints such a, it, it, it paints a, a God that is not all powerful, not all knowing and is weak. Yes. Right. Right. It paints a weak God. And that's like when you have language like that. Where you are putting God into this theological box where he is, oh, he's just, you know, he's done all he can, but it's not going to work unless, you know, he's really, really wanting you to, really wanting you to make, to choose. well. Hoping. Then, hoping. Sitting up there. You know what that? that it's like Vody
0: right? He's yearning thing. for you.
1: Right. He's no, he's, he's going to break you. <laughs> exactly. You know what the opposite, you know what the opposite of, of election, if election is not true, this means. That Christ took a risk mm. on the cross. This right. Means that God took a very large risk in sacrificing His Son because He sent His Son to die. With the host, well, I hope somebody chooses you. We're going to see. You know, let's let's hope it happens. Mm. It makes Christ's sacrifice a risk. Yeah.
2: Well, it it means the atonement failed because well, right. b- because if Christ set out to save his people right and then salvation ultimately depends upon your choice so that means people can come in and out of salvation all they want well if they can come in and they can go out that means it wasn't god's not strong enough to keep them and the atonement's not strong enough to atone for that sin of of leaving and denying christ again
1: right when christ said it is finished yeah yeah if, if, if what he meant was, well, the work to get people there is finished, then it's not actually finished. It's right. three quarters of the way finished. And the
0: other quarter is your choice. Right. Well, right? when you read, when you read scripture, you know, and, and then this, 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 I think this is a good segue in, into, limited atonement or part, particular redemption as R.C. Sproul would say it. Sure. But again, I, I'm going to quote William Tyndale this entire episode because, <laughs> well, that's what I was assigned sure. to do. But he said this Christ quote, Christ blood has purchased life for us and has made us the heirs of God so that heaven comes by Christ's blood. If you would obtain heaven with the merits and deservings of your own works, yea, and shame the blood of Christ, mm. and unto you were Christ dead in vain. Close quote. That's, yeah. that's it you were purchased it is a it is a final transaction for the elect for those who are totally depraved radically corrupted for those who needed the sovereign election to 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 complete the chasm that was between us and god it is a limited atonement it is particular redemption for those of us in christ the us that tyndale was referring to there is for the adopted sons and daughters of God.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Because because and again follow, follow, follow the line of logic, right? Is if if the atonement is not limited, if it is a universal atonement, that says one of two things. Either it wasn't effective for some mm-hmm. people, meaning it wasn't powerful enough to save some. Right, and again, what I know about myself, I would be in that group, <laughs> right? Um, me too. Or, me too. Oh my gosh, me it's too. Based, it's based on something other than God's will, and the only other option is my choice, mm-hmm. right? Right. So right. if it it is an unlimited atonement, it means that it's open to everybody, mm-hmm. and we know not everyone's saved. We know that because mm-hmm. we're not uh, universalists, right? It's either my choice. Or the sacrifice of Christ was not strong enough for some people.
0: If you hold to solus Christus, Christ alone, then you have to believe in limited atonement. Mm -hmm. You do. Yeah. And again, like, like we're, we're,
1: I think we're laying sufficient groundwork here to make that claim because, because it's, it's true, right? Limited atonement is a necessary doctrine. um, If you're going to claim that Christ is sufficient. Mm That's Um, right. Because again, there are only, there are only two other options. It's either my will plus God's, or God's work and Christ's sacrifice wasn't strong enough for some people, and I don't want either of those options. <laughs> right. And
0: that that right, I mean, and and that right there is is absolutely blasphemous. I mean, mm-hmm. you were blood It was a blood bought sovereign choice, as John Piper says. Right, mm-hmm. uh, when Christ actually actually purchased salvation for all who would believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. yep, and making us heirs, Ephesians one and Ephesians two. Um, I mean, it's it's in scripture.
2: People have a – the reason people don't like limited atonement is basically because of the word limited. But the only problem is everyone limits the atonement in one way or another because as long as you – as long as not everyone goes to heaven, there's a limit on – On the atonement and who it covers, so it's just God's will or yours. That's right. Right. So people either limit it in its extent or in its power. Josh, like you were you were talking about, yeah. But but what we can look at is, you know, you don't have to say limited, even though definitionally it's true. But you can say, you know, Chris, like you were talking about what RC said, particular redemption. There's a particular people of which Jesus came to die for, or we can say definite atonement because when you explain it to people well is the atonement definite and that christ died for those whom he came to die for or is it indefinite meaning it's not complete and now you must add something to it
0: well steve steve lawson said you know if christ purchased salvation for all then all will be saved but that's not what we read in scripture what we read in scripture is that he died for the true church Mm -hmm. and it's only the believers who are saved now look and I've said this. I've said this in personal conversations with people. Uh, also, I, I don't like this doctrine. Yeah. Right. Oh, I, this isn't. Hard. This it's isn't something. It's hard. And this isn't. And it makes you think, which is good. It challenges you. But this isn't something yeah. that I'm sitting here going yippee. You know that there are right. people who will n- die and never be a part of the elect and go to hell. Right. But that doesn't bring me joy. Like right. I have immediate family members who are not believers. My son right. is only three years old, right? He has not made a profession of faith or shown that he's possesses faith in Christ. Yeah. I have to rely on the sovereignty of God, just like we right. all do. Well, so it brings that, me no joy yeah. to say that, but that's right. what the Bible teaches.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and that, I mean, the main, the main issue that many people have with limited atonement is they think that it puts god into this sadistic tyrannical box mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. if it's limited then that means that god is actively choosing vessels for destruction and vessels for salvation right and they don't like that because it makes god look mean and it makes god like you know why why would god uh, send, create some people just to send them to hell, right? And that's the wrong question, mm-hmm. right? The question, yeah. the correct question is, with as sinful as we are, with as much as we have rebelled against God and shake our fist mm-hmm. at him, mm-hmm. why would he choose to save any? That's, that's right. Right, That that is the correct question. So when you have a problem with limited atonement, it's often it's often they have a problem with God being the one That uh, is upholding his own holiness, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And limited atonement, it is a hard doctrine, but again, look at it through the lens of the gospel. It is a very loving doctrine. Mm -hmm. That's right. Because it is limited, like God has chosen a select few to be the recipients of his grace so that the gospel might be manifested in their life, so that his glory is shown, in that he loves raging rebellious sinners that's right that's right,
0: right? He takes it takes the the, the 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 wretched the worst of us uh and 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 i said this when we when we talked to brad and and uh, Re- revelation the book of revelation says that he makes us priests with god mm-hmm. to reign with yeah. his son yeah what, what, yep. what a what a beautiful and, and and josh thank you so much for saying that because it is about perspective right uh when, when it comes to when it comes to hermeneutics, when it comes to studying scripture, w- yeah. we have to start from the right place. We have to start from theology yeah. proper yes. and not anthropology, not the study of man. It has to start with God.
2: Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. And you have to start from a place that God is
1: first and foremost holy. That's
0: right. That's right.
1: And that his That's right. holiness must be upheld. And the standards of his holiness must be upheld. Amen. Right. And when you start from that premise, it makes the doctrine of limited atonement or particular redemption, whatever you want to call it. I, I I'm old fashioned. I don't mind the term limited atonement because it, I think it helps us get our mindset into that, that <laughs> asking that question question correctly. Right. Does why would God send some to hell? It's like, no, no, no that's not the question. Why would God accept any into heaven? That's at right. All? That's right. 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 Yeah, man. Dope. all right, love it. We're, we're spending a lot of time on this, guys. We, <laughs> we that's all right. So where, where, where are we? L. Okay, I. I. Irresistible grace. Of yeah. course, it's irresistible. That's right. Of course, the it is. Irresistible I call. I can't. If I can't be the one to accept it, I can't reject it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Right. God's yeah. and this is such a comforting doctrine because God's grace, when He extends it out, it finds its mark
2: every single time Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah well it's uh and again uh going back to tyndale uh talking about the new birth and and it being a sovereign work of god yeah uh, regeneration it's it's monergistic it's a monergistic quote a monergistic act of divine creation in the spiritually dead soul Mm -hmm. Um, and he says this another quote one more we are in our second birth god's workmanship and creation in Christ so that as he, which is yet unmade has no life or power to work. No more had we till we were made again in Christ.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. That's so
0: good. That's so good. Well, and, and
1: man, again, the same question. Don't you want the grace of God to be irresistible? Yes. Like, Yes. like, Like, don't you want him to take your broken and hardened rock filled heart and change it like don't don't you want him to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Like
2: that. It's yep. why Such do you want to be up? the sovereign over your own salvation?
1: Why, why, why? why do you want it? Well, yeah. And ultimately, the question that the answer is pride is because I want to be able to believe that I had either some some th- that I can have some credit for it. Or right. again, like we talked about with limited atonement, that I want to pull God out of some sort of theological box mm-hmm. right um that I have put him in. But yeah, yeah the grace right. of God is irresistible and I want him I want him pulling me out from the depths of the ocean and breathing yeah. life into me. Yeah. I, yeah. I want that so
2: bad. Now I heard yeah. uh this was a while ago. I heard back when uh the reformed pubcast was was still making episodes. Mm-hmm. They they went through tulip and in this particular episode, I believe they talked to R.C. Sproul Jr., and he said people tell him all the time. They said, "Well, people resist the grace of God all the time. I mean, the active of suppression of the non-believer of the one true God in Romans one, right? That's a resisting mm-hmm. of grace in a way, yeah. But he's but he said the, what it's like. It's like uh, a bowling ball as the grace of God going through a napkin." Which is someone's resistance, right? You can't stop it. There's there there will be resistance once the bowling ball meets the napkin or the paper towel, but it won't be able to hold up. It can't
0: stop. No, it. no, no, absolutely not. Well, and uh, again, going back to going back to William, uh, you know, he talked about it how faith is a gift of God and it is irresistible, um, and it springs not from a man's fantasy or or our power to obtain it. Uh, but it's a pure gift of God poured out to us freely. And he, he told people to beware, you know, beware of people who, who tried to say that, that we have the free will to believe in Christ. Um, and because of the spiritual death of man, he called those people 11, um, uh, 11 to to say that we have the power of free will. Um, but if you want to
2: see, if, if you want to see God's grace on, on everyone, God's irresistible grace, look at the non-believer and look at how God allows them to wake up every morning. He allows their heart to be he allows their yeah. lungs to fill up with lung or to fill up with air right there oh. is a grace that is extended to everyone and it is irresistible but in in this as as it leads to salvation, when God decides he's going to save someone
0: he will save someone because he won't fail he is in control right right well and and, i mean if you want to look at a good picture right now what we're seeing in culture right now of and again i just cautiously optimistic but everything we're seeing uh that's coming out of what's going on with kanye west you want to talk about irresistible call wait did y'all listen to that episode wrath and grace do it uh, yeah, I want to. Do I, I want to. I've I've heard a couple of clips, but you'll be um, so encouraged. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So this but,
2: started. This started way
0: back in like June, May, June, yeah, somewhere yeah, around there. Yeah, it's just yeah, not um, making headlines. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just just look at that. I mean, here here's somebody as uh, I mean, all of us, right? We're all fallen men. Yep. Uh, all, mm-hmm. all all fallen men and women, and um, you know, to rob God of of the glory of the fact that He saves sinners, um is, is, is atrocious. Uh, so it, it is, it is, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance when our eyes are open right. to the need of, and, and the, and the, the, the well of our sin. And we see right. what God has done and went through Christ. Uh, it is his kindness that, that, that does continue to lead us to repentance as well. So yeah. let's keep going so we can.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, and before we hop into the last one here, I, a very good exercise to do while we're talking about Calvinism is always, again, our focus should be, what does, what do these doctrines say about God? Right. Our focus needs to start and end with the person of God. Ask yourself, uh, when we're going through these points, what does the opposite say about God? Mm-hmm. Good exercise. Right. Good. right? What good. what does the opposite say? If 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 it is based on our will and it's not election, what does that say about God's power to save? Right? If it's not unconditional and it's conditional, it's based on something other than God Himself, what does that say about God's about God's character? Mm-hmm. Right? If it's not limited, And it is for everybody. Well, we we went into some of the implications there. Either Christ isn't strong enough or God is dependent. Right. Um, If it's not. Go ahead. You know, I was going to say, if it it is irresistible, if it is resistible and I can resist God's will, then I'm stronger than God in that instance. And And you will resist it
2: every time.
1: And I will resist it every time because that's what my nature does. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Which leads us into the last one here that. The person the one of the greatest and most comforting doctrines of all of Scripture is the perseverance of the saints. It's the sustaining power of God's salvation in our life. Yep, Chris, are and- you
2: turning to where I'm turning to? Yes.
1: It's it is the most, it is there, there is nothing, at least in my opinion, there is no doctrine that i believe is more comforting than the
0: perseverance of the saints this is this is this is god's word yep and we know that god causes all things to work together for good for those who love god and those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren and these whom he predestined he also called And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of God in Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and just in case we were missing anything, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
2: I want to add to that. John chapter six starting in the same place. No, we weren't. Uh, John chapter six, starting in 37, all that the father gives me will, they will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out for. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, so there's a giving to the son, of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day.
1: Right. And again, we ask the question, why is this true? Why is the perseverance of the saints true? Why is it that our salvation is not able to be lost once it is given? Because it is based upon he who gives, not he who receives. Right? It amen. is based upon the truth and the power and the sovereignty of God himself and whom God justifies, he never lets
2: go. Yay and amen, brother. Amen. I had to worship right there for a minute.
0: Yeah, I know, man, me too. Wow,
2: so that's John we Calvin. Need to
1: call, we not, might need to call an audible, and uh, we're already at forty-seven minutes. We might need, you, you both still have uh, have your own guys to do. <laughs> this is what happens when you get a bunch of theology nerds talking about Calvinism. <laughs>
2: oh. But uh, I mean, it is he, Calvin is such an instrumental figure because he did uh, systematize, uh, you know the the order of salvation. You know when we when we look at it. Uh, he's he is an amazing figure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yeah, yeah, he is. He is, and he's amazing not because he, I mean, he he was brilliant, but he's amazing not because of his own intellect, mm-hmm. but because he preached mm-hmm. and lived the truths mm-hmm. of Scripture and did it with zeal and conviction.
0: That's oh, right. and that's I, that, that's the thing with each of these guys, right? Each each of these men, these reformers, and uh, you know that there be people. I think one of the things we're probably gonna do is uh, each of us individually may, may record some separate things, uh, just short biographies on uh, guys like Ridley and Latimer and uh, stuff like that. I mean, these, these, these men who gave, gave their all, um, but they were, uh, th- these men were overwhelmed with the truth this they saw in scripture and how it, it, it absolutely uh, went against what was happening in the church and the papacy. And yeah. And then, yeah. And they stood, they stood their ground. Um, Yep. So, uh, yeah. Well, do we want to do Knox or Tyndale? So, let, let's do
2: Tyndale because once the Reformation really reaches Calvin and he kind of uh, you know organizes things and, and and solidifies you know the work of the Reformation, it kind of you know expands out. It goes into England uh, because of Calvin, uh, you know. Ultimately, right. so so let's let's yeah. now take it into England. Uh, in, in, in touch on the English Reformation with William Tyndale. Man. And I am a little jealous that Chris gets <laughs>
1: Tyndale. Like, I mean, yes, I got Calvin. You're like, he's the quintessential reform dude. But Tyndale is such an epic dude like th- this he's oh, man you he's could so have awful. picked whoever you wanted man, yeah, man. no like, no no want? no 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 no, no. chris picked tyndale <laughs> as faster than i've ever seen anybody pick <laughs> oh, anything. I, totally I mean i knew we, he we, wanted we tyndale. threw these out there and he was like oh i got tyndale he was like oh, well <laughs> i guess uh, spurgeon's out so i guess calvin
0: Right? <laughs> hey we're gonna get to spurgeon buddy
1: oh yeah yeah no no yeah spurgeon's oh man spurgeon's my dude all
0: right all right strap in because uh man what a story what i you know it's one of those things that uh i I, on one hand i I hope that uh, i would love to see hollywood make a movie true to form glorifying honor the lord matthew robinson please do this um uh just depicting the life uh, or, or portions of the life of William Tyndale. I, I mean, so I'll start with this. Dr. Stephen Lawson. There Lassen, is
1: an old one. Out, like out of I, the I
0: I've, I've watched clips of it all week. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Dr. Yeah, Stephen Lawson said, that. no greater gift could be given to any people than to present them with the scriptures in their own language. Mm. And, you know, we we talked about with Brad Reformation today, starting with the pulpit, starting in the home, starting with worship. And it all starts with the Word of God. It all does. We've been saying ad fontes, right, to the source, return to the source. Yeah. And this man literally gave everything to ensure that we have Scripture in our own language um, and, uh, not just his life. And yes, that's everything. But for 12 years, he lived in exile, moving from place to place, uh, right. printing under fake names and fake locations. Uh, this man, this English reformer, William Tyndale, he's, uh, Dr. Lawson also said this in his biography, the daring mission of William Tyndale. He said, quote, arguably Tyndale made the single greatest contribution to this history altering movement. That was the English reformation so uh so at the beginning here uh you know philip schaff uh said this Eh, let me get to it i thought i was ready i'm not ready there we go quote every true progress in church history is conditioned by the new and a new and deeper study of scripture while humanists went back to the ancient classics and revived the spirit of greek and roman paganism the reformers went back to the sacred scriptures in original languages and revive the spirit of apostolic christianity close quote so so here this man william tyndale comes and he did just that he uh he he translated scripture the Greek from Greek into English. Um, And, uh, and so uh, one of the things that Dr. Lawson talks about is there's this portrait that he has of William Tyndale. And in it uh, there, there's a, there's a banner uh, because he was an Oxford and Cambridge scholar that, that says this in Latin. I'm going to read it in English, not in Latin. He says uh, quote to scatter Roman darkness by light, the loss of land and life. I will reckon slight. And that's exactly what he did. So by translating the Bible into English, he ignited a flame that would absolutely extinguish all darkness in, in the English-speaking world, not just in England. Um, and so he's, he's rightly called the Apostle of England. And at the time, uh, they're in England, and and we we're seeing the same things that Martin Luther was seeing. You know, the church was taking advantage of of, of spiritual ignorance that that shrouded people in the land. There, there were over twenty thousand priests in England, but they couldn't translate one line from the Lord's Prayer because they were so consumed with religious superstition and traditions they had zero knowledge of the truth. And the only English scriptures that were available uh, were the handwritten Bibles of John Wycliffe, but they were translated from the Latin Vulgate in the 14th century. So the reason this is a big deal is, is because in 1401, uh, Parliament passed the De Heretico Com... I'm not going to try to pronounce that. I'm going to butcher it. I'm just going uh, to... This, this legal- <laughs> keep, keep rolling. Keep rolling. Yeah, yeah. It legalized the burning of heretics at the stake. And translating the Bible into English was a capital offense. In 1408, uh, Thomas Arundel, he's the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, decreed that it was illegal to even read an English Bible unless it was authorized uh, by bishops. Um, you know, he said, he said, "quote It's a dangerous thing to translate the text of the Holy Scripture out of one tongue into another, for in trans in the translation, the same sense is not always easily kept." And John Piper, you know what he said about that? That's crap. literally that's what he said when he when piper Piper read this quote um so uh so so we fast forward now to 1519 i mean check this out you guys in 1519 seven lollards who were followers of william they were burned at the stake for teaching their kids the lord's prayer for teaching their children the lord's prayer so at the time, and Josh, you mentioned that at the time uh, in Wittenberg and Zurich, uh, the the spark and explosion of the Reformation was taking place. In 1520, uh, is, is is you know Luther's works were being studied at Oxford and Cambridge, and at, at that time as well, Erasmus was uh, his his Greek New Testament with his Latin uh, had been put together um, uh, in 1516. So, um, and Josh, you pointed this, this out when last, last, last episode that, you know, there were only a select few who could read Greek and Latin. Um, uh, but obviously right. it was useless for those who, who read English. So right. yeah. here comes Tyndale. And this was a man who sang one note as is said about him to translate, uh, scripture into English. And, and, and he did, he spoke eight languages. He, he had an incredible mind. He spoke Hebrew, Greek latin italian spanish english german and french and it's said that he did so in in proper dialects as well so that when you were listening to him talk in those languages, you would actually think he was from those places
1: man and i have trouble with english <laughs> me
0: too like so so he knew sounds he knew rhythms he knew the senses of the english language which which made him the perfect man for this endeavor and and God sovereignly from from the moment that he I mean he grew up he was born in around 1494 um, at, to to a family who worked hard they were industrious they were flourishing and they were able to pay for him to go to Oxford um, and so he went there from 1506 to 1512 uh, he graduate graduated from fi, in 1512 uh, he wasn't allowed to study theology men weren't allowed to study theology until they had been through eight or nine years of school. And Mm -hmm. at that point, it was only speculative theology, like like he was shielded from the Bible and from theology. And that and that that actually drove him nuts. Uh, You know, he said uh, he said this in universities, they have ordained that no man shall look on the scripture until he is to to be nursed in heathen learning eight or nine years and armed with false principles with which he is clean, shut out of understanding of of the scripture. The scripture wow. is locked up with false expositions and false principles of natural philosophy. So it was the twisting of scripture um, is is what was happening. So he graduates um, he graduates in, in uh, July of fifteen fifteen and fifteen nineteen. He went to Cambridge, um, and of course Cambridge was a hotbed for the Reformation. Luther's works were being studied at Cambridge. Many reformers and and future martyrs studied there. Um, and check this out. This is kind of fun. 1520, there was a small group of Cambridge scholars that began a Bible study to, dis- to discuss the new things in theology that they were hearing and learning, the original matter of theology. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, and, and they met at a local pub called the White Horse Inn at the King's College. And uh they, they called themselves uh uh Little Germany. I thought that was mm. kind of fun. So check out this list of names Ridley, Latimer, Coverdale, Cranmer, Bilney and William Tyndale.
2: Mm.
0: So, so, so Bill uh, the power was, team. Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: Bilney was the one that converted a lot of those guys.
0: Yep. Yep. So 1521, he steps away from academia to give more thought. I mentioned this earlier to, to, to the truths found in the reformation. Uh, and, uh, man, it just took off from there. He started, he started working for a guy named Sir John Walsh. Uh, he was a tutor for their children. That's when he first started preaching, uh, and that's when, man, that is when the vision of, uh, you know, of, uh, of translating the scriptures, uh, into the language of the common man really, really took, took place. I mean, think about this too. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians and Colossians in a language for the common man, for slaves to be able to understand. And so for the church, to 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 hold this 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 hostage and handcuffed is uh was was i mean tyndale saw it as just uh, just absolutely wrong and so there were a lot of priests that came at the walsh manor and there's one famous quote that one of the catholic clergymen said he said this quote we had better be without god's law than the people's close quote and then tyndale responded quote i defy the pope and his laws if God spared him life ere many years, he would cause a boy that drives a plow to know more of the Scripture than he does. And man, like uh, man, it just it just took off from there. Um, he uh, he traveled to London. He wanted to do it right. Fifteen twenty three, he went to London uh, to to meet with uh, Cuthbert Tunstall. Uh, he was the uh, the bishop of London at the time, and and asked permission. Uh, to translate the the Bible into English and Tunstall because of Luther uh, and, and seeing what happened in, in, in September of 1522 when Luther released his German uh, Bible, uh, said nope. And that just deepened his conviction. So he knew that he was not going to be able to do it in, in his I mean in his home home country. Think about that. Just put yourself in that position. Would you be willing to to walk away? you know I, I can't tell you how many people you know on, on I mean here anyway, on Saturdays, uh, you see you see you know Facebook explode with people who are rooting for the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, you know you saw social media explode yesterday because the the Braves got tattooed uh, in, in a baseball game and you stop and think about this man William Tyndale and this is, this is what I thought about and and is he left his home country at the age of 30 to begin his work. Uh, and, 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 and lived as an outlaw and a fugitive from the crown for the rest of his life for the next 12 years. So 1524, he, uh, hangs out with Luther. It's not confirmed, but uh, scholars are pretty sure (laughs) that, that he and Luther and Melanchthon, uh, who was a master of the Greek language, Melanchthon was, mm-hmm. uh, translated the New Testament. He, he got some names and uh, ended up, uh, check this out. So Peter Quintel, uh, this guy was going to print the the New Testament for him. And, and one of the workers there got drunk and spilled the beans. And uh, there was a bitter opponent of the Reformation, uh, John Cochleus, uh, who overheard what was going on. And, and there was a raid on the shop. And so Tyndale got all of the leaves that had been printed and all of his work and t- took off out of there, uh, sailed down the Rhine river and, and ended up in verms where Luther was nine years before that. Uh, and it was a Protestant family, you know, Protestant friendly place, uh, man. And just, uh, just finished the work. Uh, there were so, there's so, so much more I could, I could go into, but I've been talking for a minute and, um, but man, he faced many oppositions, uh, m- many obstacles, uh, there were, there were man hunts, there were spies, uh, you know, th- and he just kept going and, uh, saw the mission through. And, um, you know, and, and just like one of the, one of the men that, that was sent to him or sent to find him, uh, came back and reported to, uh, to, to the church. He's a man who is just singing one note. Um, so I'll fast forward. Uh, like I said, there's a lot more, but uh, I'll fast forward to his uh, when he was betrayed. 1534. Uh, he he was uh, uh, he was in process. He had, he had made multiple revisions to the New Testament. Was in process of he learned Hebrew. Didn't know Hebrew. Learned Hebrew. Uh, was translating through the New Testament uh, with the help of guys like uh, Miles Coverdale and John Rogers, um, and uh, man. Uh, This guy kind of infiltrated the camp uh, who um, betrayed betrayed him and got he was arrested um, and for 18 months was uh, was was kept in prison. And then on October 6th, uh, 1536, uh, he was uh, he was he was strangled uh, and uh, and his body was covered with gunpowder and he was dropped into the fire. And his body was blown up and scattered throughout the land, uh, as as a stark reminder of what you're not to do uh, by by the church. And but ultimately, as he died, his last words were, "Lord, open the King of England's eyes." And through his uh, through his friends, through his partners, uh, John uh, John Rogers and William Coverdale. Uh, they, they did get a, a complete English Bible to Henry VIII. And Henry VIII uh, said that he could find no heresies in it. And uh, he said, quote, if there be no heresies in it, then let it spread abroad among the people. And so in September of 1538, the king issued a decree that the copy of the Bible in English and Latin should be placed at every church in England. And those were the Coverdale Bibles and the Matthew Bibles. So uh, in, in, in just my kind of wrapping up of talking about Tyndale, Uh, there's, there, there's a couple of things I want to mention, um, is, uh, the, the man had an incredible legacy. He wasn't just the father of the English reformation, but he's also called the father of the English language.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Check this out. Words like behold didn't exist. (laughs) Okay. Here here are some other ones here, here, just as far as linguistic skills, this man have fig leaves in Genesis three birthright genesis 25 in gathering sin offering morning watch handbreadth spoiler swaddling clothes slaughter ministering apostleship brotherly busybody castaway chasten dividing fisherman godly holy place intercession jehovah justifier live log mercy seat, Passover, scapegoat, taskmaster, unbeliever, viper, zealous. This man was also the father of the English language. I mean, when you think about this, William Shakespeare, Shakespeare in A Midsummer Night's Dream writes, The eye of man hath not heard, the ear of man hath not seen, man's hand is not able to taste, his tongue, uh, his tongue to conceive, nor his heart to report, what my dream was Tyndale's translation of 1st Corinthians 2 9 in the 1526 edition reads this the eye hath not seen and the ear hath not heard neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him wow 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 I like that version better. Yeah, yeah, I did too. So <laughs> so so look I mean the the point the point of me going into all of this and there was a lot that I didn't go into. trust me, I didn't want to bore everyone but uh, but man, you know this this guy right here uh, it, it is said that he he is the mainspring of the English Reformation and the Reformation to the rest of the world through through what he did. Um, he is the, 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 the well to which the Lord, Lord used to spread uh, the truth of the gospel to the entire English speaking world that still influences our own language today, whether we know it or not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. If, you know, if you're listening to this and you have a Bible that is in English, you have William Tyndale to thank. That's right. That's right, man. That's correct.
0: Yeah. So.
1: So good. Whew. William Tim Dale is the bomb. Yeah, and I don't mean that as a pun, <laughs> but that actually, hold on. Just <laughs> just I didn't actually mean for that. Normally, I mean for that to happen. That one was actually a complete accident, but it was actually one of my better ones. <laughs>
0: oh uh, well yeah, too soon I'll, uh, I'll i'll bring it back in a little bit uh you know we need to as dr stephen lawson says uh in his in his um, incredible biography uh the daring mission of william tyndale get this book it's, it's phenomenal uh he says this he says quote we need tyndales who passionately love god's word to fill every pulpit every seminary every sunday school class and every lectern let us learn to say with david and no doubt with tyndale How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 119, Mm -hmm. 103. Mm -hmm. There you go. So Nice. Are we going to be able to get to John Knox tonight? We're going to have to, man.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I'm pretty quick, so I, I can get through some stuff. All right. All right. So. On, on the raging Scotland. Yeah, that's right. The trumpet. Yes. Yeah. The so, here, so John Knox. Now, Protestantism had made its way into Scotland before John Knox. Uh, and really, the, the Reformation in Scotland has a lot to do with uh, kind of the political atmosphere that was going on. Uh, Scotland was a it was kind of a neutral battleground between England and France uh but uh the the Queen of Scotland Mary Guise Mary of Guise, she actually married the Prince of France uh, so that uh it, and it was a way to kind of offset the power of England because England at this time is you know it's the strong force uh so Protestantism, The teachings made its way in the 1520s through uh, merchants who were trading with uh, uh, the Netherlands, and they brought back uh, Lutheran books. They brought back William Tyndale New Testaments, Uh, and one of the people that was most affected by this was – he was a Catholic priest uh, turned Protestant named Patrick Hamilton. Patrick Hamilton, uh, he he was from a wealthy family in Scotland. And he, uh, I mean, he really carried the torch in Scotland in preaching uh, the truths of scripture. Now, Patrick Hamilton uh, was condemned to death because uh, shortly after uh, Scotland passed a law that said it was illegal to teach Lutheran doctrine. Well, he kept doing it. Uh, So he was condemned to death. He was burned at the stake. The next person that, uh, that rose up was a man by the name of George Wishart. Now, George Wishart, uh, he was a teacher. He he taught uh, uh, he taught New Testament Greek, uh, but he was a fiery preacher that John Knox actually latched on to. And he latched on to him, and he learned a lot from George Wishart, and he just wanted to be around him in the preaching. He took up the position as Wishart's bodyguard. And he actually carried with him a broadsword. Now, broadsword is a big, it's a very big, very heavy sword. Think about uh, Braveheart, uh, a claymore. A claymore, that's right. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's and he it. would he would carry this sword, and he would uh, anyone that came near uh, to Wishart, he would swing this sword uh, to drive them back. Uh, so, but there there comes a time when y- you know. Wishart is captured. Uh, He's arrested. And John Knox is actually coming to his defense. And Wishart looks at him and says, one sacrifice is enough. He knows it's his time. And he's he's telling a young John Knox to flee for his life. He says one sacrifice is enough. So he goes, he's taken, and he's burned at the stake. But those ashes, those fiery ashes of passion for preaching the word fall upon John Knox. Mm-hmm. Now, John Knox, uh, shortly after, after that, he was actually called out uh, by a priest into the ministry, uh, looks at him said you know he he says You are called to preach the word of God, and being so overwhelmed with the weight of that task, John Knox begins to cry, he runs back to his room where he weeps uh and he prays uh and ultimately he arises uh ready to ready to take on you know this this task that God has set before him uh shortly after that uh they are uh, he is in uh, Saint Andrew's Castle, and the castle is sieged by the French army or the French navy, and he becomes a slave, a French galley slave for nineteen months. Uh, under rower, an under rower. That's right. So he is he, he is at the bottom of the ship, and he is uh, he sits on a wooden bench all day, all night, rowing. He did that for 19 months, and there were several times where he almost died. He was deathly ill much of the time, and uh, he actually kept uh, morale up, kept the, the the faith of those people up by his faith. And he would often he would often tell the people that he was with, uh, "I will be back to preach at St. Andrews. I will mm. be there."
0: Can we and just say how much of a beast this guy probably was? Wielding a broadsword, rowing yeah. for 19 months in a ship? Yeah. Other than being malnourished, possibly. Yeah. I mean, this dude was... Just
1: I mean, I mean, he he was an average Scott. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Those those are manly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Those are manly. You don't make fun of them
2: wearing a skirt.
1: (laughs) No, 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 no.
2: Well, you do. You just do it. You do it exactly once. And then that's the last time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's right. So uh, now uh, here, an interesting story while he's on that French ship. So the 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 slaves on that ship are Protestants. The crew of the ship are Roman Catholics, and they would partake in mass. Now, what they would do being on a ship, partaking in mass, they they would have either a a a painting, a small painting, or a small bust of uh, Mary, the Virgin Mary. And they would pass it around uh, and they would actually kiss uh, this picture. So one time they bring it to Knox to do it and he doesn't do it. But while they're not looking, he actually takes it and throws it overboard. And he, no. and he says, he says, <laughs> let her save herself. She's Ooh. light enough. See, let's see if she can swim. Oh awesome. my goodness. Even, even <laughs> Such, a <laughs> Such
1: a Scotsman. Such a Scotsman.
2: So even <laughs> then, weak malnourished slave on a ship no fear of man oh. and their idols he throws it overboard
1: savagery. Oh. now
2: so, so he's on this ship for 19 months as an under rower uh edward the what is it the what was he the fourth uh Henry yes. VIII's son, Edward IV, yes. I believe he yes. was. he works out a deal, and he actually gets all the slaves released. And so Knox is actually living in England during the time of of Edward's reign as king, and he actually becomes chaplain to Edward, King Edward. Uh, he becomes pastor of of church of a church out there. Uh, but when Edward dies. Uh, Mary Tudor who would be bloody Mary uh, takes the throne oh, yeah. and she is she is staunchly Roman Catholic and uh, ultimately uh, Knox would have to flee and he would flee to Geneva Calvin's Geneva and it was the, yeah who was Mary's first martyr John Rogers that's right mm. yep who was associated with william Yep. just first of many just connected yeah. yeah. yep. yep um so he uh john knox would flee to geneva where he would actually uh run into and be taught by john calvin uh he would learn under calvin um and there were times where uh you know John Knox, he would he would he would go back and forth to England. He'd go there. Uh, it would be heavy Roman Catholic. He would have to he would have to flee, um, or there were times where he was teaching, and because of his writings, he was an author as well. Uh, his writings would make his way to Scotland, where his teachings uh, were actually condemned as heresy. And actually, Mary of Guise actually uh, defended him one time. He came in and he was condemned while he was condemned to death, and she let him leave, uh, let him escape. Uh, but uh, there, there was a time where he was in Geneva. It was actually the second time he was in Geneva. He wrote uh, what would what would be a very infamous writing, uh, and it was called the first blast of the trumpet. And what it was, was it was, it was really aimed at Mary Tudor, Bloody Mary. And he, he believed uh, against women in power in the, in that position, because uh, really, when you look at, at Mary Tudor, uh, she abused that position uh, and he had a problem with it. Uh, so so his work, The First Blast of the Trumpet, was really aimed at Mary Tudor. The only problem is when he wrote it was at the end of, of, of Mary's reign as queen, and Elizabeth became queen. And now Elizabeth was more uh, friendly to the Protestant movement. Uh, but there was a time where John Knox actually wrote to the queen because she was more friendly to the Protestants, uh, asking for help. This was one time he was back in Scotland and she refused help because of. Uh, what he wrote in the first blast of the trumpet. And Knox actually said, he said, uh, it was my first blast that blew away all my friends in England. (laughs) But this was such a controversial writing and that Calvin in Geneva actually uh, demanded that it not be published anymore. Uh, So, so he got that, uh, you know, not to be not to be passed around and published in Geneva anymore. Uh, but uh just an everyday Scot just an everyday Scot right.
1: <laughs> making everybody mad. That's right,
2: man. But but there were, you know, he he, he went to pastor different places in Edinburgh and Frankfurt, uh he even pastored in Geneva as well. Uh but he would ultimately make his way back to Scotland where he would remain uh until he died and when he gets back to Scotland is at the same time uh Mary Mary Stuart who is the daughter of Mary of Guise she is now uh queen of Scotland and she's coming she she had been educated in France she grew up in France educated in France so she, being being uh Educated there, she is very much uh, Roman Catholic, but, uh, she didn't go after Protestantism in Scotland because Protestantism was the majority there. And she knew that if, if the people were to revolt, she wouldn't stand a chance. Right. So she allowed, she allowed them, uh, to, to be a Protestant nation. But in her, her own castle, she would privately take mass, and John Knox did not like this. And from the pulpit, he actually spoke against it and called her out. And she's she summoned him to uh, the castle, you know, four or five different times. Now this was uh, each each meeting that Knox went to with the queen. It started out cordial. But each one got a little more intense, and she was often reduced to tears by the end of each meeting. Now, that is bold when awesome. when you corner the queen in her own <laughs> castle and you condemn her idols and you bring her to tears. That is bold. <laughs>
0: can i just say i mean I,
1: that's
2: that that's one word for it
0: yeah yeah yeah, I, yeah yeah i was yeah i think josh you and i are probably thinking of the same other word it talks yeah. with a b uh but, yeah. but can i just say how much i would like if you could if you could combine these these three and have like the super reformer like oh, the geez. boldness well, of well yeah it, guys it's spurgeon <laughs> come on <laughs> It's already been done. The boldness of Knox, the, uh, the, the, the intellectual prowess of Calvin and just the, the laser focus of, uh, of, of Tyndale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Josh. I see you.
1: Yeah, it's just right, what sure, a Scotsman. Yeah. Well, the, well, the thing is, she keeps inviting him back. Mm-hmm. Like, did he not take a hint? Like, she's trying to be nice. Mm-hmm. She's like, okay, come on back. Let's talk about this. And he's just like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Right. I've got some things to say to you. You're going to listen to me. <laughs> uh, the broadsword of the my tongue.
2: Right, sort of the tongue. That's right. Sorry, Drew. Go ahead. Finish it up, man. Yeah, so. Uh... <laughs> Now, there were some uh, there were some things that happened with Mary Stewart, Um, you know, her her husband died and then it looked like, you know, she married again and it looked he died and it looked like she was maybe in a conspiracy to have killed her second husband. You know, she married a third guy um, and ultimately she fled. She had to flee Scotland and she went to England and now in England. Uh, Queen Elizabeth is still on the throne and their cousins, Mary Stuart, and and uh Queen Elizabeth, they're cousins. Elizabeth Tudor, they're cousins. Uh but Mary does have a rightful heir to the throne of England. Now, and, and there were a lot of people in England that knew this and that wanted Mary to be the Queen of England because she rightfully was. Elizabeth didn't like this. She put her in prison for somewhere about 18 years. There was, there was a plot to uh, try to break her out and restore uh, or will not restore her, but put her uh, on the throne in England. And so Elizabeth actually uh, executed her. So now back to Scotland where, where John Knox is and where he remains uh, until he dies. He, uh, he's involved in the politics there. Uh, you know, he's involved in writing the confessions, the Scots confessions. He's involved with uh, you know how kind of uh, the structure of Scotland is to be run. But most importantly, is he's a preacher. He's a pastor, and he has a fire in his bones to preach the word. And he didn't preach with a, with a lot of notes. He didn't. He didn't. You know preach from manuscript uh, like I have to do, uh, you know, the the few times I do at, at youth. But he, he, the only thing he had was he had an open Bible and he had maybe had a few notes written in the margins, but he he just wanted to stay faithful to the text. You know, he wanted to stay in the text he was teaching, and then he wanted to let the Lord uh, move through the preaching and just reveal the text as he's going. and. Uh, here, here's what, what someone said, uh, about his, about his preaching. This is, uh, Thomas Randolph. He's an English ambassador. This is what he says. He says, I assure you the voice of one man knocks is able in one hour to put more life in us than 500 trumpets continually, bl- uh, blustering in our ears. I
0: love that quote. I've, I've, I've heard mm. that before. I, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean,
2: the man had a passion for preaching the word so much so that as he was aging, he couldn't barely get out of bed. He had to be carried around places. But there was one instance where... He had, he just had to preach. It was in his bones to preach where he, he gets himself out of bed and he's staggering around to try to dress himself because he's got to preach on the resurrection. That's how much fire was in him to preach the word of God. And he was a preacher all the way until he died. So there was, uh, there's actually another quote that I want to read. Um, by a man named uh, James Melville. Uh, James Melville. Uh, he was a teenager. He was about fifteen when he sat uh, listening to Knox, and he wrote this. Um, let me see. I had a I had a very good place, and then I lost it. I should have marked that place. Man. I know, I <laughs> i'm gonna have to edit this part now. why
0: well and no no don't don't edit it out why you're looking for it you know one of the one of the encouragements to our listeners uh there's a book that reformation heritage books has put out uh called the prayers of john knox and Uh, Mm. in that book, he is also called, um, a a pastor, a true pastor of prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, and there've been a lot of Joel Beakey, a lot, a lot of people who have said that when, when they wane in their prayer life, that they, they read, uh, the prayers of John Knox. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I have the book and I've read through it and, and he is 100% correct. Um, so check that out. if. Hi, no. highly edited <laughs> <laughs> they so weren't before he talked to mary's queen of scots we'll put it that way
1: <laughs> yeah that's right that's yeah. right careful you might leave in a puddle of tears <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> all right yeah. so so here Fine.
2: it is uh so this is james melville and he he's he's talking about an account where where knox is preaching on prophecies in uh the book of daniel but he says this he says I had my pen in my little book, and I took away such things as I could comprehend. In the opening up of his text, he was moderate for the space of half an hour. But when he entered to application, he made me uh, so shudder and tremble that I could not hold a pen to write. Wow. He was a very weak, he, yeah, he was very weak. I saw him every day of his doctrine grow slowly and warily with a fur about his neck, a staff in one hand, and good godly Richard Ballantine, his servant holding up the other, from Mm -hmm. the abbey to the parish kirk, and by the same Richard and another servant lifted up up to the pulpit, where he... where he behooved to lean at his first entry. But before he had done, uh, it's weird the way way he's writing it. But before he had done with his sermon, he was so active and vigorous that he was like to ding the pulpit to pieces and fly out of it. (laughs) I mean, a man that, that has to have help walking He can't get up. He's got to have help walking. He's got to be placed into the pulpit because he can't get in there himself. And he's got to lean on the pulpit, gets into a sermon, and is so fiery and preaching that he's dinging the pulpit so that people think it's going to break and that he's going to fall out of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. That's Mm so kind of kind of bring this full circle. Um, you know, the reason that we're walking through, uh, men like this, uh, and, 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 and plowing through it, if you will, I mean, this is an hour and a half at this point. And, um, and, and some people may have been like, okay, I just can't, I can't do it. Uh, and that's okay. Um, but, uh, but our prayer for you, and, and just like we've always said is for you to appreciate number one, appreciate the word of God, mm-hmm. the perfect infallible and errant and completely and absolutely sufficient word of God. Uh, in in as, as it pertains to all things, as it pertains to life and godliness to use Peter's words. Uh, and so to number one, appreciate and hold that dear to, to search the scriptures, to devour the scriptures. We've talked about this so many times. It is the breathe out word of God, uh, is the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Um, Psalm 19 says, um, but the reason that we're walking through what these, what these men have done, these great reformers this month, um, and walking through the spread of the Reformation is because, because and, and we, we alluded to it uh, when we talked to Brad, and we're going to allude to it towards the end of the month, not allude to it, we're going to talk about it, the need for further Reformation today. And it's going to start with Scripture. It's going to start with bold people of God like john knox Mm -hmm. it's going to start with hard thinkers like john calvin and and men and women men and women and and and, and in their proper roles according to scripture let's put that out there please.
2: women of the reformation oh
0: absolutely absolutely um but but all of us finding our place and saying no as luther said uh here we stand we can do no other god help me amen And, and to, and to see what our history, the history of our faith, you know, uh, our, our faith as far as Protestant, uh, uh, Protestants, evangelicals, like, um, that truly hold to the word of God. Like this is tracing our history and it's going through these men all the way back to the apostles, all the way back to Christ, all the way back to Genesis. Um, and it's good to study this stuff. It's good to be encouraged by what these men and some women went through, uh, to, to, to to see where we are today and the need for that. I mean, I was listening to the briefing this morning about what's going on in China and how the Chinese government has issued another decree and warning churches, stop teaching the gospel. That There is reformation needed in this world. There is reformation needed in our country. Um, there is revival needed in our country. And it's all going to start from and stem from ad fontes sola scriptura, solas Christus, uh, sola fide, sola gratia and sola dea gloria. Like that's where it's going to start, uh, and continue. I, w- I wouldn't say start. I continue because there is, there is a, a reformation happening. There is a focus on, uh, getting back to, uh, the, the truths found in scripture. So that's why we've walked through this, um, walk through these, these amazing men walk through the, uh, the the doctrines of grace a little bit. that wasn't exhaustive. That was just a little bit. Um, but yeah. Yep. And the Reformation just didn't just stop with with Scotland. All right. It, no.
2: it continued. And what we're going to talk about next time is we're going to talk about the legacy of the Reformation uh, and how it continued and is continuing today through certain people. Um, so it didn't just stop there. Uh, these are just some of the heavy hitters, uh, but we're going to try to fill in with a couple other, uh, you know, some episodes on some smaller people that you may not know about. You may not have heard about, uh, that played actually significant roles. Um, but with that, we're going to end this episode on the expansion, Of the Reformation. We hope that you learned a lot. We hope that this actually drives you to learn church history. Yeah. Uh, Pick up a book, man. Uh, Steve Lawson's got a lot. I mean, he's one of my favorites. Dude, Nick Needham, 2,000 Years of Christ's Power. Okay, four volumes. Get it. It'll change your life.
0: Sinclair Ferguson has a book called the year of our Lord that walks through each century uh, as far as church history, non-exhaustive, just like a 30,000 foot overview. That's phenomenal. Mm. Uh, It's a book that you can read in a week uh, if you're diligent with it. Um, So yeah, study, study, study the history of the church.
2: Oh, and I want to brag on this real quick. Uh, So, so because John Knox was, was my guy that I, that I talked about, but in my preaching Bible, Y- y'all can't see this, but they can. I've right? seen it. I I, ha- I have a picture of John Knox taped inside the cover. And the purpose of it is to remind me every time I get into the pulpit talking to kids. Okay, I talk to kids about the gospel. To not hold back. To be firm in the word. And to teach the scriptures. Not holding anything back.
0: I have the same. Is that the same picture?
2: Yeah, but mine's yep. signed by Steve Lawson. So uh, no, that's true. It is.
0: Oh. Uh, but mine has the <laughs> Knox quote. The scriptures <laughs> of God are my only foundation and substance in all matters of weight and importance. Hmm. That's right. See, this is what I expect from your NASB
1: guys. You just you, you got to you, you know, you got to put a little extra no, in your dude, Bible. actually a couple heathens.
2: Uh, okay, <laughs> Josh, can you see that? This is oh, an I ESV. It says it says it says ESV. This, okay. Well, it's because I impression. have to use the ESV when I when I talk to the youth. Uh, oh, okay. All right. But uh, that's just what you know. They said this is we've got them using ESV. We want to keep them with that, and I said, mm, all right, but, mm, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. So, that's fair. but I got that before I, I got my NASB. So, <laughs> uh, little knocks. Right. Love it. But anyways, we're out of here. We'll catch you next time on Matter of Theology. Later.